Welcome to another episode of Drift Off, the podcast that brings you sleepy bedtime stories every Tuesday to help you relax, unwind, and drift off to dreamland. I'm your host, Joanne, and it is an honor helping you get restful sleep. Life can be so busy and stressful, and we all need an oasis where stress can just melt away. Drift Off can be your oasis, a soothing escape that can help you relax and unwind as soon as you press play. Let's face it, who wants to listen to ads or sponsored announcements when all we want is to relax? Subscribing to Drift Off not only keeps the show ad-free, but it also unlocks bonus bedtime stories, gives you early access so you listen first before episodes go live, and much more. At Drift Off, my aim is simple to help you immerse in sleepy bedtime stories that bring you peace and relaxation so you can drift off. So why not give Drift Off a try? You can subscribe either on Apple Podcasts by tapping on the offer to subscribe displayed on the Drift Off show page or by using the link in the show notes, driftoff.supercast.com. A free way you can support Drift Off is by leaving a five-star rating and review either on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or whichever app you choose to listen. Reviews help other listeners find Drift Off too. My friend, thank you for joining me today on Drift Off. So lay back and relax, and let's get ready to go on this sleepy journey together. Tonight I will be reading several chapters from the book, Little House on the Prairie. This story is about a little girl named Laura Ingalls and her family who leave behind their little house in the big woods of Wisconsin and are now heading to Kansas. The story captures the essence of pioneer life through the eyes of a young Laura. She provides vivid descriptions of the challenges and joys of frontier living with detailed accounts of hunting trips, encounters with Native Americans, and the hardships they face as early settlers. This book has captured the hearts of both young and old, making it a cherished classic. And so, as always, my friend, take a nice deep breath, and let it out slowly. Feel all the tension in your body just melt away. You're all cozy and safe in your bed. So it's time to relax and let go now. Start by softening your forehead and smoothing out your brow 
Relax your eyes and unclench your jaw. Let your whole face be smooth and relaxed. Now imagine your shoulders dropping down and easing back and just let them go and feel the relaxation and heaviness flow down through your arms, down through your hands and all the way into your fingers. Let them be loose and limp. Feel your chest and belly become soft. Let your back melt down into your bed. And allow that relaxation to flow down into your hips, into your legs, into your feet and all the way down into your toes. Every muscle in your legs feel heavy, loose, and limp. And as our story begins, your body and mind will keep on relaxing Just listen to my words and allow your imagination to take you away and everything will begin to slow down. Even your breathing and thoughts will slow down as you listen. It's all preparing you for a peaceful sleep. My friend, there's nothing else you need to do right now and nowhere else you need to be. So just lay back, relax, and enjoy the story. Chapter 11 Indians in the House Early one morning, Pa took his gun and went hunting. He had meant to make the bedstead that day. He had brought in the slabs when Ma said she had no meat for dinner. So he stood the slabs against the wall and took down his gun. Jack wanted to go hunting too. His eyes begged Pa to take him, and whines came up from his chest and quivered in his throat till Laura almost cried with him but Pa chained him to the stable. No, Jack, Pa said. You must stay here and guard the place. Then he said to Mary and Laura, Don't let him loose, girls. Poor Jack lay down. It was a disgrace to be chained, and he felt it deeply. He turned his head from Pa and would not watch him going away with the gun on his shoulder. Pa went farther and farther away, till the prairie swallowed him 
and he was gone. Laura tried to comfort Jack, but he would not be comforted. The more he thought about the chain, the worse he felt. Laura tried to cheer him up to frisk and play, but he only grew more sullen. Both Mary and Laura felt that they could not leave Jack while he was so unhappy. So all that morning, they stayed by the stable. They stroked Jack's smooth head and scratched around his ears and told him how sorry they were that he must be chained. He lapped their hands a little bit, but he was very sad and angry. His head was on Laura's knee and she was talking to him, when suddenly he stood up and growled a fierce, deep growl. The hair on his neck stood straight up and his eyes glared red. Laura was frightened. Jack had never growled at her before. Then she looked over her shoulder where Jack was looking and she saw two naked wild men coming, one behind the other on the Indian trail. Mary, look, she cried. Mary looked and saw them too. They were tall, thin, fierce-looking men. Their skin was brownish-red. Their heads seemed to go up to a peak, and the peak was a tuft of hair that stood straight up and ended in feathers. Their eyes were black and still and glittering like snakes' eyes. They came closer and closer. Then they went out of sight and on the other side of the house. Laura's head turned and so did Mary's, and they looked at the place where those terrible men would appear when they came past the house. Indians, Mary whispered. Laura was shivery. There was a strange feeling in her middle, and the bones in her legs felt weak. She wanted to sit down, but she stood and looked and waited for those Indians to come out from beyond the house. The Indians did not do that. All this time, Jack had been growling. Now he stopped growling and was lunging against the chain. His eyes were red and his lips curled back and all the hair on his back was bristling. He bounded and bounded, clear off the ground, trying to get loose from the chain. Laura was glad that the chain kept him right there with her. Jack's here, she whispered to Mary. Jack won't let them hurt us. We'll be safe if we stay close to Jack. They're in the house, Mary whispered. They're in the house with Ma and Carrie. Then Laura began to shake all over. She knew she must do something. She did not know what those Indians were doing to Ma and baby Carrie. There was no sound at all from the house. Oh, what are they doing to Ma? She screamed in a whisper. Oh, I don't know, Mary whispered. I'm going to let Jack loose, Laura whispered hoarsely. Jack will kill them. Pa said not to, Mary answered. They were too scared to speak out loud. They put their heads together and watched the house and whispered. He didn't know Indians would come, Laura said. He said not to let Jack loose, Mary was almost crying. Laura thought of little baby Carrie and Ma shut in the house with those Indians. She said, I'm going in to help Ma. She ran two steps, 
and walked a step, and then she turned and flew back to Jack. She clutched him wildly and hung on to his strong, panting neck. Jack wouldn't let anything hurt her. We mustn't leave Ma in there alone, Mary whispered. She stood still and trembled. Mary never could move when she was frightened. Laura hid her face against Jack and held on to him tightly. Then she made her arms let go. Her hands balled into fists and her eyes shut tight and she ran toward the house as fast as she could run. She stumbled and fell down and her eyes popped open. She was up again and running before she could think. Mary was close behind her. They came to the door. It was open, and they slipped into the house without a sound. The naked wild man stood by the fireplace. Ma was bending over the fire cooking something. Carrie clung to Ma's skirts with both hands, and her head was hidden in the folds. Laura ran toward Ma, but just as she reached the hearth, she smelled a horribly bad smell, and she looked up at the Indians. Quick as a flash, she ducked behind the long, narrow slab that leaned against the wall. The slab was just wide enough to cover both her eyes. If she held her head perfectly still and pressed her nose against the slab, she couldn't see the Indians, and she felt safer. But she couldn't help moving her head just a little, so that one eye peeped out and she could see the wild men. First, she saw their leather moccasins, then their stringy, bare, red-brown legs all the way up. Around their waists, each of the Indians wore a leather thong, and the furry skin of a small animal hung down in front. The fur was striped black and white, and now Laura knew what made that smell. The skins were fresh skunk skins. A knife like Pa's hunting knife and a hatchet like Pa's hatchet were stuck into each skunk skin. The Indians' ribs made little ridges up their bare sides. Their arms were folded on their chests. At last, Laura looked again at their faces, and she dodged quickly behind the slab. Their faces were bold and fierce and terrible. Their black eyes glittered. High on their foreheads and above their ears where hair grows, these wild men had no hair. But on top of their heads, a tuft of hair stood straight up. It was wound around with string and feathers were stuck in it. When Laura peeked out from behind the slab again, both Indians were looking straight at her. Her heart jumped into her throat and choked her with its pounding. Two black eyes glittered down into her eyes. The Indian did not move. Not one muscle of his face moved. Only his eyes shone and sparkled at her. Laura didn't move either. She didn't even breathe. The Indian made two short, harsh sounds in his throat. The other Indian made one sound, like, ha. Huh. Laura hid her eyes behind the slab again. She heard Ma take the cover off the bake oven. She heard the Indians squat down on the hearth. After a while, she heard them eating. 
Laura peeked and hid and peeked again, while the Indians ate the cornbread that Ma had baked. They ate every morsel of it, and even picked up the crumbs from the hearth. Ma stood and watched them and stroked baby Carrie's head. Mary stood close behind Ma and held on to her sleeve. Faintly, Laura heard Jack's chain rattling. Jack was still trying to get loose. When every crumb of the cornbread was gone, the Indians rose up. The skunk smell was stronger when they moved. One of them made harsh sounds in his throat again. Ma looked at him with big eyes. She did not say anything. The Indian turned around. The other Indian turned, too, and they walked across the floor and out through the door. Their feet made no sound at all. Ma sighed a long, long sigh. She hugged Laura tight in one arm and Mary tight in the other, and through the window they watched those Indians going away, one behind the other, on the dim trail toward the west. Then Ma sat down on the bed and hugged Laura and Mary tighter and trembled. She looked sick. Do you feel sick, Ma? Mary asked her. No, said Ma. I'm just thankful they're gone. Laura wrinkled her nose and said, They smell awful. That was the skunk skins they wore, Ma said. Then they told her how they had left Jack and had come into the house because they were afraid the Indians would hurt her and baby Carrie. Ma said they were brave little girls. Now we must get dinner, she said. Pa will be here soon, and we must have dinner ready for him. Mary, bring me some wood. Laura, you may set the table. Ma rolled up her sleeves and washed her hands and mixed cornbread while Mary brought the wood and Laura set the table. She set a tin plate and knife and fork and cup for Pa, and the same for Ma, with Carrie's little tin cup beside Ma's. And she set tin plates and knives and forks for her and Mary, but only their one cup between the plates. Ma made the cornmeal and water into two thin loaves, each shaped in a half circle. She laid the loaves with their straight sides together in the bake oven, and she pressed her hand flat on top of each loaf. Pa always said he did not ask any other sweetening when Ma put the prints of her hands on the loaves. Laura had hardly set the table when Pa was there. He left a big rabbit and two prairie hens outside the door and stepped in and laid his gun on its pegs. Laura and Mary ran and clutched him, both talking at once. What's all this? What's all this? He said, rumpling their hair. Indians? So you've seen Indians at last, have you, Laura? I noticed they have a camp in a little valley west of here. Did Indians come to the house, Caroline? Yes, Charles, two of them, Ma said. I'm sorry, but they took all your tobacco, and they ate a lot of cornbread. They pointed to the cornmeal and made signs for me to cook some. I was afraid not to. Oh, Charles, I was afraid. You did the right thing, Pa told her. We don't want to make enemies of any Indians, 
Then he said, Whew, what a smell. They wore fresh skunk skins, said Ma, and that was all they wore. Must have been thick while they were here, Pa said. It was, Charles. We were short of cornmeal, too. Oh, well, we have enough to hold out a while yet, and our meat is running all over the country. Don't worry, Caroline. But they took all your tobacco. Never mind, Pa said. I'll get along without tobacco till I make that trip to Independence. The main thing is to be on good terms with the Indians. We don't want to wake up some night with a band of screeching d- He stopped. Mora dreadfully wanted to know what he had been going to say, but Ma's lips were pressed together, and she shook a little shake of her head at Pa. Come on, Mary and Laura, Pa said. We'll skin that rabbit and dress the prairie hens while the cornbread bakes. Hurry, I'm hungry as a wolf. They sat on the woodpile in the wind and sunshine and watched Pa work with his hunting knife. But Laura could not forget the Indians. She said to Pa that if they had turned Jack loose, he would have eaten those Indians right up. Pa laid down the knife. Did you girls even think of turning Jack loose? He asked in a dreadful voice. Laura's head bowed down and she whispered, Yes, Pa. After I told you not to, Pa said in a more dreadful voice. Laura couldn't speak, but Mary choked. Yes, Pa. For a moment, Pa was silent. He sighed a long sigh, like Ma's sigh after the Indians went away. After this, he said in a terrible voice, You girls remember always to do as you're told. Don't you even think of disobeying me, do you hear? Yes, Pa, Laura and Mary whispered. Do you know what would have happened if you had turned Jack loose, Pa asked? No, Pa, they whispered. He would have bitten those Indians, said Pa. Then there would have been trouble, bad trouble. Do you understand? Yes, Pa, they said but they did not understand. Would they have killed Jack? Laura asked. Yes, and that's not all. You girls remember this. You do as you're told, no matter what happens. Yes, Pa, Laura said, and Mary said, yes, Pa. They were glad they had not turned Jack loose. Do as you're told, said Pa, and no harm will come to you. Chapter 12 Fresh Water to Drink Pa had made the bedstead. He had smoothed the oak slabs till there was not a splinter on them. Then he pegged them firmly together. Four slabs made a box to hold the straw tick. Across the bottom of it, Pa stretched a rope, zigzagged from side to side, and pulled tight. One end of the bedstead Pa pegged solidly to the wall in a corner of the house. Only one corner of the bed was not against a wall. At this corner, Pa set up a tall slab. He pegged it to the bedstead. As high up as he could reach, he pegged two strips of oak to the walls and to the tall slab. Then he climbed up on them and pegged the top of the tall slab solidly to a rafter 
and on the strips of oak he laid a shelf above the bed. There you are, Caroline, he said. I can't wait to see it made up, said Ma. Help me bring in the straw tick. She had filled the straw tick that morning. There was no straw on the high prairie, so she had filled it with dry, clean, dead grass. It was hot from the sunshine, and it had a grassy, sweet smell. Pa helped her bring it into the house and lay it in the bedstead. She tucked the sheets in and spread her prettiest patchwork quilt over them. At the head of the bed, she set up the goose feather pillows and spread the pillow shams against them. On each white pillow sham, two little birds were outlined with red thread. Then Ma and Pa and Laura and Mary stood and looked at the bed. It was a very nice bed. The zigzag rope was softer than the floor to sleep on. The straw tick was plump with the sweet-smelling grass. The quilt lay smooth, and the pretty pillow shams stood up crisply. The shelf was a good place to store things. The whole house had quite an air with such a bed in it. That night when Ma went to bed, she settled into the crackling straw tick and said to Pa, I declare I'm so comfortable it's almost sinful. Mary and Laura still slept on the floor, but Pa would make a little bed for them as soon as he could. He had made the big bed, and he had made a stout cupboard and padlocked it, so the Indians could not take all the cornmeal if they came again. Now he had only to dig a well, and then he would make that trip to town. He must dig the well first, so that Ma could have water while he was gone. Next morning, he marked a large circle in the grass near the corner of the house. With his spade, he cut the sod inside the circle and lifted it up in large pieces. Then he began to shovel out the earth, digging himself deeper and deeper down. Mary and Laura must not go near the well while Pa was digging. Even when they couldn't see his head anymore, shovelfuls of earth came flying up. At last, the spade flew up and fell in the grass. Then Pa jumped. His hands caught hold of the sod. Then one elbow gripped it, and then the other elbow. And with a heave, Pa came rolling out. I can't throw the dirt out from any deeper, he said. He had to have help now. So he took his gun and rode away on Patty. When he came back, he brought a plump rabbit and he had traded work with Mr. Scott. Mr. Scott would help him dig this well, and then he would help dig Mr. Scott's well. Ma and Laura and Mary had not seen Mr. and Mrs. Scott. Their house was hidden somewhere in a little valley on the prairie. Laura had seen the smoke rising from it, and that was all. At sunup next morning, Mr. Scott came. He was short and stout. His hair was bleached by the sun, and his skin was bright red and scaly. He did not tan. He peeled. It's this blasted sun and wind, he said. Beg your pardon, ma'am, but it's enough to make a saint use strong language. I might as well be a snake, the way I keep on shedding my skin in this country. 
Laura liked him. Every morning, as soon as the dishes were washed and the beds made, she ran out to watch Mr. Scott and Paul work at the well. The sunshine was blistering, even the winds were hot, and the prairie grasses were turning yellow. Mary preferred to stay in the house and sew on her patchwork quilt, but Laura liked the fierce light and the sun and the wind, and she couldn't stay away from the well, but she was not allowed to go near its edge. Pa and Mr. Scott had made a stout windlass. It stood over the well, and two buckets hung from it on the ends of a rope. When the windlass was turned, one bucket went down into the well, and the other bucket came up. In the morning, Mr. Scott slid down the rope and dug. He filled the buckets with earth, almost as fast as Pa could haul them up and empty them. After dinner, Pa slid down the rope into the well, and Mr. Scott hauled up the buckets. Every morning before Pa would let Mr. Scott go down the rope, he set a candle in a bucket and lighted it and lowered it to the bottom. Once, Laura peeped over the edge, and she saw the candle brightly burning far down in the dark hole in the ground. Then Pa would say, Seems to be all right, and he would pull up the bucket and blow out the candle. That's all foolishness, Ingalls, Mr. Scott said. The well was all right yesterday. You can't ever tell, Paul replied. Better be safe than sorry. Laura did not know what danger Pa was looking for by the candlelight. She did not ask, because Pa and Mr. Scott were busy. She meant to ask later, but she forgot. One morning, Mr. Scott came while Pa was eating breakfast. They heard him shout, Hi, Ingalls. It's sunup. Let's go. Pa drank his coffee and went out. The windlass began to creak and Pa began to whistle. Laura and Mary were washing the dishes and Ma was making the big bed when Pa's whistling stopped. They heard him say, Scott! Scott! Then he called, Caroline, come quick! Ma ran out of the house. Laura ran after her. Scott's fainted or something down there, Pa said. I've got to go down after him. Did you send down the candle? Ma asked. No, I thought he had. I had asked him if it was all right and he said it was. Pa cut the empty bucket off the rope and tied the rope firmly to the windlass. Charles, you can't. You mustn't, Ma said. Caroline, I've got to. You can't. Oh, Charles, no. I'll make it all right. I won't breathe till I get out. We can't let him die down there. Ma said fiercely, Laura, keep back. So Laura kept back. She stood against the house and shivered. No, no, Charles, I can't let you, Ma said. Get on, Patty, and go for help. There isn't time. Charles, if you keel over down there and I can't pull you up. Caroline, I've got to, Pa said. He swung into the well. His head slid out of sight down the rope. Ma crouched and shaded her eyes, staring down into the well. All over the prairie, metal larks were rising, singing, flying straight up into the sky. The wind was blowing warmer, 
but Laura was cold. Suddenly, Ma jumped up and seized the handle of the windlass. She tugged at it with all her might. The rope strained and the windlass creaked. Laura thought that Pa had keeled over, down in the dark bottom of the well, and Ma couldn't pull him up. But the windlass turned a little, and then a little more. Pa's hand came up, holding to the rope. His other hand reached above it and took hold of the rope. Then Pa's head came up. His arm held onto the windlass. Then somehow, he got to the ground and sat there. The windlass whirled around, and there was a thud deep down in the well. Pa struggled to get up, and Ma said, Sit still, Charles. Laura, get some water, quick. Laura ran. She came hurrying back, lugging the pail of water. Pa and Ma were both turning the windlass. The rope slowly wound itself up, and the bucket came out out of the well, and tied to the bucket and the rope was Mr. Scott. His arms and his legs and his head hung and wobbled. His mouth was partly opened and his eyes half shut. Pa tugged him onto the grass. Pa rolled him over and he flopped where he was rolled. Pa felt his wrist and listened at his chest. And then Pa lay down beside him. He's breathing, Pa said. He'll be all right in the air. I'm all right, Caroline. I'm plumb tuckered out is all. Well, Ma scolded, I should think you would be. Of all the senseless performances, my goodness gracious, scaring a body to death, all for want of a little reasonable care. My goodness, I... She covered her face with her apron and burst out crying. That was a terrible day. I don't want a well, Ma sobbed. It isn't worth it. I won't have you running such risks. Mr. Scott had breathed a kind of gas that stays deep in the ground. It stays at the bottom of wells because it is heavier than the air. It cannot be seen or smelled, but no one can breathe it very long and live. Pa had gone down into that gas to tie Mr. Scott to the rope so that he could be pulled up out of the gas. When Mr. Scott was able, he went home. Before he went, he said to Pa, You were right about that candle business, Ingalls. I thought it was all foolishness, and I would not bother with it, but I found out my mistake. Well, said Pa, where a light can't live, I know I can't, and I like to be safe when I can be, but all is well that ends well. Pa rested a while. He had breathed a little of the gas, and he felt like resting. But that afternoon, he raveled a thread from a tow sack, and he took a little powder from his powder horn. He tied the powder in a piece of cloth with one end of the toe string in the powder. Come along, Laura, he said, and I'll show you something. They went to the well. Pa lighted the end of the string and waited till the spark was crawling quickly along it. Then he dropped the little bundle into the well. In a minute, they heard a muffled bang, and a puff of smoke came out of the well. That will bring the gas, Pa said. When the smoke was all gone, 
He let Laura light the candle and stand beside him while he let it down. All the way down in the dark hole, the little candle kept on burning like a star. So next day, Pa and Mr. Scott went on digging the well, but they always sent the candle down every morning. There began to be a little water in the well, but it was not enough. The buckets came up full of mud, and Pa and Mr. Scott worked every day in deeper mud. In the mornings when the candle went out, it lighted oozing wet walls, and candlelight sparkled in rings over the water when the bucket struck bottom. Pa stood knee-deep in water and bailed out bucketfuls before he could begin digging in the mud. One day, when he was digging, a loud shout came echoing up. Ma ran out of the house, and Laura ran to the well. Pull, Scott, pull, Pa yelled. A swishing, gurgling sound echoed down there. Mr. Scott turned the windlass as fast as he could, and Pa came up climbing hand over hand up the rope. I'm blamed if that's not quicksand, Pa gasped as he stepped onto the ground, muddy and dripping. I was pushing down hard on the spade, when all of a sudden it went down the whole length of the handle, and water came pouring up all around me. A good six feet of this rope's wet, Mr. Scott said, winding it up. The bucket was full of water. You showed sense in getting out of that hand-over-hand angles. That water came up faster than I could pull you up. Then Mr. Scott slapped his thigh and shouted, I'm blasted if you didn't bring up the spade. Sure enough, Pa had saved his spade. In a little while, the well was almost full of water. A circle of blue sky lay not far down in the ground, and when Laura looked at it, a little girl's head looked up at her. When she waved her hand, a hand on the water's surface waved too. The water was clear and cold and good. Laura thought she had never tasted anything so good as those long, cold drinks of water. Pa hauled no more stale, warm water from the creek. He built a solid platform over the well and a heavy cover for the hole that let the water bucket through. Laura must never touch that cover, but whenever she or Mary was thirsty, Ma lifted the cover and drew a dripping bucket of cold, fresh water from the well. Sweet dreams, my friend. Sleep well. Good night.